Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 2nd, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff, sitting next to... Vahe Gregorian. How about that? Sharing the intro today. We're talking Royals with beat writer Linworthy and the aforementioned Vahe Gregorian. It's trade deadline day, and the trade winds are blowing both directions for the Royals, who have acquired a couple of pitchers, while we wait to see who might be headed out of Kansas City. Also, be sure to stick around for the final few minutes of today's show. You'll hear a clip produced by the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum with the help of MLB.com about Buck O'Neill. This was made for his induction into the National Baseball Hall of Fame, but Vahe, it wasn't played at the Baseball Hall of Fame. It was not because of the threat of inclement weather. They streamlined the service down to four hours, <laughs> <laughs> four hours. down to about two and a half or three hours. So this, this was not played there, and it was kind of a, a special treat for those who came to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum on Friday. Okay, it's narrated by museum Bob. president Bob Kendrick. Yes, it is. It, it was one of, if not, no, no, not, not one of. He's the best storyteller in baseball right now. Best storyteller in baseball in his greatest field of expertise. It's a nice combination. It is. So you'll hear it late in the show on Sportsbeat KC. All right, this show started as a Sportsbeat Live. Let's get started. Good morning and welcome to Sportsbeat Live, our weekly conversation about the Kansas City Royals with you and people in the media who know the best. And today that is beat writer Lynn Worthy and columnist Vahe Gregorian. We're coming to you from different places. Lynn, of course, is in Chicago following the Royals. And Vahe and I are in St. Joseph, Missouri, where the Chiefs are conducting training camp. But we are here to talk Royals on this show that is presented by the University of Kansas Health System. And you will hear from them later in this program. Guys, it's trade deadline. A lot going on. A lot has already happened for the Royals. The trade winds are blowing both ways for for the Royals, and we're going to get into that in a second. But I wanted to return to a pitch from last night's game and a swing from the bat of Salvador Perez. And I wanted to get your you guys' thoughts on the distance that this ball traveled last night. So, Monty, let's let's run the clip, just a short clip of the home run that Salvador Perez hit in Chicago last night. <laughs> I'd say he got all of that one, Lynn. Um, he <laughs> when, when, when they have to pin the camera up because they wide <laughs> it as much as they could and then still missed it, then, yeah, that means it, it went pretty far, usually. It went, Go ahead. Well, as you say, it went 452 feet, according to the Chicago White Sox. But I, that's what I want to talk about. So what, what do you got, Vahe? Well, just this. It reminded me off the bat of a ball that uh, one Michael Jack Schmidt hit in in the in the uh, dome in Houston uh, that hit a speaker nobody knew was there up in the upper tier, and I think it was ruled a, a ground rule home run. I don't I don't exactly remember how that played out, but it, but at first glimpse on, on on the camera view, you see it just going up. I mean, you don't you don't realize it's going that far back and. I don't know, Lynn, you, I'm sure know more about how that metric is calculated than I do, but it, it seems like uh, it, it might have been longer than that. It was disputed by many last night, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> I think – and there was, there's one, I, there was one reporter, I think he was um, covering for AP last night, who 
Um, I don't think he asked a question about anything but the distance of that. <laughs> two reporters and two players and to Mike Matheny. That's all he was there to talk about was the distance of that home run. And he'd been around Chicago for a while talking about how he'd never seen one go up there. Um, I think yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I know Matheny was asked and he said he didn't remember seeing one ever go up there. Um, Salvi, who obviously has played in this division for a long time. Uh, of course, when he was asked, he's like, eh, no, I don't. I don't remember. And they just said, pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then, you know, uh, Witten Merrifield said 450. So that's, he said, that's a glitch if they say in 450. That's all of 500. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was funny because that, I think that same reporter was asking me, he said that, he said, was that further than what he hit the, um, the other day in New York? And I was like, well, yeah, I said, that four, you know, four fifty was further. I was like, I, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've seen him hit four fifty in different ballparks. Like I'm thinking in Kaufman, I think he's had some that have been about that distance. But yeah, I was like, it wasn't shocking to me when I heard the number. But looking back at the replay, it's more shocking that the number was four fifty when you see that replay. Absolutely, Ab- absolutely. It, you know, listen, there. Um, it's it, the ball went over the wall. It cleared the fence. That's the really <laughs> the only important thing. It gave the Royals their first run in what became a two to one victory over the White Sox. And of course, Salvador Perez is back with a vengeance from you know from his thumb injury. He is just on the same kind of tear. It seems like that he he was on a year ago uh, when he was hitting grand slams uh, uh, with regularity. So it's it's great to see him on a heater. Nobody. No Royals player I've seen in a long time uh, hits the ball like this in in a sustained way like Salvador Perez. He's he's just been on a – it's been wonderful to see. Um, But so this home run distance thing, that started in baseball I don't know how many years ago. And and I remember when it it became a a regular feature at baseball games to measure the distance. And I should say Lynn's checking his phone because today is the trade deadline and we may lose Lynn at any time. As he's reporting on on trades, yeah, we, we're absolutely going to get to that. But um, but I actually saw a chart of Kauffman Stadium and how they measure home runs. So you know, if if a ball hit the Pepsi Porch sign or if it hit the bottom of the scoreboard, they knew exactly you know how far the ball went. And I imagine that's true of all the ballparks. Just there's some sort of metric to to determine how far a ball is hit. But the way I looked at last night's was it's 60 feet from home plate to the pitcher's mound. So if you added sort of a from the back of the center field fence added a home plate to the pitcher's mound distance. That's another 60 feet. I think the ball traveled farther than that distance. Um, you know, as it, as we see it bounding up the stairs uh, beyond two layers of, of landmarks out in center field. So I, I wonder if there might be some adjustment on, on that today. I'd like but, to see that. I yeah, think, I, would, they, I would too. Do they go back and uh, do sort of, you know, uh, forensics after the fact just to, you know, I don't know. I, I don't recall that they've done that, but but why wouldn't they if they if they can? They might need to. <laughs> well, I, I think Salvi's career long is 460. I don't know where it was, but I think I saw it was 460 something feet. Maybe it's 460 even. Um, I, I can't imagine he had a ball. That, that, that ball last night it was less than. Uh, than his 460 footer, but anyway, uh, that was uh, that's that's all beside the point. But it was interesting to me. Um, One, can, I, hey, can I just yeah. amend this thing real quick? I looked up the Mike Schmidt thing. The ball the ball hit a speaker 117 feet high and uh, 300 feet deep, but it was ruled a, a, a double. 
Kevin said uh, we should just just go to the dent in the concrete. Oh, a single. <laughs> it fell for a single. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, just just measure the dent in the concrete. Kevin says, and Steve adds, or the hole in the concession stand sign. That's, that's a good way to do it. It's, it's it should be clearly marked out there. So um, anyway, hey, the other the other feature from last night's game was the pitching of, of Daniel Lynch. What a what a really nice performance. And Lynn, how about just a quick thought on? on how Daniel Lynch pitched and and uh, what a good sign that was for the Royals. I thought maybe the most telling thing was afterwards to hear him say how good it was to be able to have just a normal start because it seems like for a better part of the last month, it's been blister, cut on the finger, IL stints, just starts and stops. And it just wasn't, you know, it didn't look um, uh, just natural or smooth with him on the mound. And then last night, just came out firing and just shut it down for, you know, the better part of six innings for if, if, until the very end. I thought he was probably going to get through six. I think he had two hard hit balls at the end. There was a double and then mm-hmm. um, a line out to, to Whit Merrifield that was hit like over 100 miles an hour. Um, but up until then, they hadn't done much with him at all. Tacked with the fastball, mixed his pitches. Um, I mean, that was sort of what we had thought, you know, coming into this season, like this might be what this guy is on a regular basis. And, so, like I say, I thought just to hear him say it was cool to have a, you know, a normal start, a regular outing with these guys. I thought that maybe told, said it all. Okay, trade deadline today, and um, Royals have already uh, picked up a couple of pitchers in the last uh, what forty-eight hours. Uh, Luke Luke Weaver uh, traded for Emmanuel Rivera, traded uh, Emmanuel Rivera to the Diamondbacks and the Royals get a right-handed pitcher in Luke Weaver. Um, interesting guy, interesting numbers for Luke Weaver. Um, and when I when I mentioned at the top of the show that the trade winds blow in both ways, this was unusual to, to lose a rookie who had shown some promise, uh, I thought, and you know, I thought maybe was a, a candidate for third baseman of the future for the Royals, for a pitcher who's been in the bigs for several years. And what what do you think is behind this one, Lynn? Well, the first thing that came to my mind, and um, we talked to JJ Pocolo, uh briefly yesterday after the trade, and he didn't shoot it down. He didn't he didn't confirm it, but he didn't shoot it down. The first thing that uh, came to my mind was that you're adding bullpen. Uh, pieces because you might be moving somebody at this deadline today. Um, and, you know, you don't, you, I mean, and the bullpen has had its struggles this season. So if you're going to move one of your top guys, you can't just, you know, have nothing to, to slot in there other than what you got in the minors right now that either is down there for a reason, one or one reason or another, either not ready or, you know, has things to work on. So, um, and when, and when JJ says, well, if we feel like we find something that makes sense that we're protected, to me, that says, yeah, that, that's on the table, that they, they might move one of their guys, whether that's Barlow, whether that's Stalmont, somebody like that. And now you've got another person to slide right into the bullpen. Um, so that was the first thing that came to my mind with that. Um, and we've heard, obviously, there's been reports, rumors that, you know, whether it's Stalmont or Barlow or maybe they get in package with one of the other guys, that those could be some of the deals that are floating out there today by, uh, by 5 p.m. Central. Well, that seems like such sound thinking, Lynn. I mean, and Blair, you know, you really, I think, brought up the essence of the point, which is if you think you've got a, a, a guy that is a potential piece in the future and, and you're moving him, that's that's counter to what we've seen the Royals doing, counter to the, sort of the whole movement. And you can only feel like it's predicated on 
some other some other moves. And and Lynn, that's uh, we just mentioned Weaver. There's uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, Anthony Mishevitz. Is that? Uh, I believe that's how it's said. Am I in the ballpark, uh, Mishevitz? I, I believe so. I, I had somebody last night after I repeated it. You know the way they said it, and that was you know however many hours ago, and I'm I'm sure that I would butcher it right now. But yeah, I think Mishevitz or Mishevich is um, one of those two. <laughs> is uh, is how you say it, um, and he's a left-hander. Um, he's going to go straight to AAA, but Weaver sounds like will be coming. Um, if he's not already in Chicago, he's going to be on his way. I think he wasn't coming from far away. I think they were in, I want to say Cleveland um, or somewhere, maybe Ohio. Maybe, I'm not sure if it's Cleveland or Cincinnati, uh, but somewhere not too far, I believe. Um, so he'll be able to uh, make the trip soon. Um, and then they'll have to make a roster move. Um, assuming that that roster move isn't a trade. Um, but, yeah, so he's going to be here. And um, it was interesting that it sounded as though they, he's the guy that they've had their eyes on for a while. And actually Mike Matheny has familiarity with because he was drafted by St. Louis. And and, and that's he was actually part of the uh, Goldschmidt trade. Um, so he, he'd been with the Cardinals. Um, but the Royals have had their eyes on him for a while. J.J. said that they did have – they felt like there was still some potential there as a starter. But – for the rest of this season, at least, he's going to be a bullpen guy, and then they'll they'll cross those other bridges later. But um, so yeah, he's going to be here, you know, fairly soon. Um, whether that's added to what they have in the bullpen or not it remains to be seen. Um, but to circle back to Rivera, I think really Rivera was starting to get to be um, in some ways the odd man out. I mean, he'd just been sent back down to the minors. Um, I think it was Friday, um, and he started. I mean, we've seen Nicky Lopez playing a lot of third base. Hunter Dozier's been back at third base for the first time in a while. Um, when uh, when you had the Toronto and you had all the youngsters up there, Michael Massey, who was a gold glove winner for the minor leagues at second base, got a start at third base. Um, he's, and he had had a couple of starts in the minors, just two, I think, before that at third base. So I think they're looking at options that they have at third base, um, either for right now or going forward. Um, keeping in mind that actually at the beginning of the season, Bobby Wood Jr. was your starting third baseman. Um, that they they felt like they could move him. Yeah, all of a sudden it's become a little bit of a mystery position, hasn't it? Um, it's almost like the last couple months of the season might determine who's the opening day starter at third base next season. Yeah, and 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 the name, a name that I forgot to mention there, and we haven't seen him at third base yet, but it was um, one of the spots that they had been getting some time for. Um, MJ Melendez in the minor leagues last year, third base was where they had gotten some time. Then this year it's been the outfield. And I mean, yesterday we saw him in the outfield, but you have, you know, basically between the, the corner infield, the corner outfield positions, um, a lot of guys you're trying to rotate along with DH too, um, between, you know, Prado and Pasquantino being first baseman and Prado obviously being an, an elite defender there, but that you saw him in the outfield this weekend. Um, Dozier's another guy who's going to play corner infield, corner outfield. Like I say, um, Melendez, um, Olivares is on the IL still, but when he comes back, he's one of those guys. Kyle Isbell in the outfield. So you just have a lot of different places um, or a lot of different guys that you're trying to rotate into not a whole lot of places. This is maybe a funny thing, way to look at this, but as they keep experimenting, you know, Prado is so, you know, plus plus, you know, just, just terrific first baseman. Does that make him? Does that tell you his athleticism is such that they really ought to give him a whirl, more and more of a whirl in the outfield in in the coming weeks, just to see how that translates? Because obviously, uh, it gives you some different options if you if if you can do that. 
At, but I, I, obviously, he's also a much better defender than Pasquantino. So I don't know what, what the upside ultimately is, but I feel like experimentation, experimentation time might be called for now. Yeah, and, I, and I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, it's something that they they had seen coming. I mean, I, I think it was it wasn't April. It was, it was early. It was springtime when Rusty was out there working with both MJ and Prado in the outfield down at AAA. Um, I remember seeing it, uh, Rusty in Kansas City at some point after that, talking about how they he thought that both of them were you know ready um, to be able to play that those spots. Um, but I'm not sure how much of it is just experimentation as much as it is for them for right now at the big leagues, just getting their bats in the lineup because you just, I mean, you know, like I said, DH is in that conversation too with those corner outfield and infield spots, but you also at DH, then you have to throw salary into that mix when you talk about DH, MJ into that mix at DH as well. So the DH spot gets, you know, gets taken up and Vinny really isn't going to be an outfield. He's really just going to be first base or DH. So he's not rotating as much as the other guys. So that DH spot is really going to be, you've got multiple candidates for that as well, along with those spots to try to put guys in. But yeah, I mean, Prado is, they, they feel like he's just going to be such a good defender at first base. I think they know that's where he's eventually going to be every day. But for right now, it's a matter of getting everybody's bat in the lineup. Okay, I want to pick up the trade conversation. But first, let's hear from the University of Kansas Health System. March 4th, 2015, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast. We were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why would you go anywhere else? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. Okay, we're back talking Royals on Sportsbeat Live with Baha Gregorian and Lynn Worthy. And Lynn, in a piece that uh, that is posted on KansasCity.com that you wrote, J.J. Piccolo was quoted as saying, we have players other teams value." And uh, and I guess we'll find out how much other teams are valuing them by the end of today or by five, five o'clock, as you mentioned. Uh, Rivera, obviously valued by the Diamondbacks. Um, what are you thinking? You mentioned earlier Scott Barlow and Josh Stamont as potential trade pieces for the Royals. Whit Merrifield clearly still out there as a as in, in, in trade rumors. Let's just 
let me ask you, what do you think the Royals can get in return for any any one of those guys? What what should the Royals be looking for in a return for if one of those guys is traded? Well, I think that's the the that's gonna be well that it will be the determining factor because you know to hear JJ say that again, there's guys that they feel like teams have interest in, but when he says things like, Well, we'll find out how much interest and we'll see how serious things get, that's basically like in my mind at least they need to come to the table with something, you know, with a, with a real offer. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're happy holding on to him is basically what he's telling you. Um, and I don't think that's by mistake that he's putting that out there that, you know, because um, every time he talks about the, how they're valued, he also says there's no problem to hold on to him. Like, I think that another part of that quote was that in, if they hold on to the players they have, that's fine. Um, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you know, Ben intended was one thing because – that's a rental player and they got, but they still got three minor league pitchers and pitching's always coveted no matter what, um, whether it's in season, off season, you know, 365 days a year, pitchers coveted, uh, pitching is coveted. So, um, and they seem to have checked some boxes off early. I mean, that um, going back, you know, weeks when we talked about that trade going into the draft to get a guy who looks like potentially maybe the next center fielder. Um, so I'm not sure if there's, specific needs as far i mean like i say pitching is always one of them um i'm not sure that you're going to get a top flight prospect from anybody from one of these guys maybe if you package them maybe that maybe you could force it that way i'm not sure um just trying to think about what's it seemed like there's been a lot of minor leaguers shifting around in some of the deals that been that have taken place so far whether that's you know the ones that have gone on yesterday or even some early this morning um and I, I didn't quite see. I know um, former Royal Jorge Lopez got traded by Baltimore, and I did not see what the return was on that. But, I mean, he's a relief pitcher who was an all-star this year um, who still has time, I believe, time remaining on his deal um, and who you can make. And I think a lot of his numbers were similar to Barlow's and that I know they're both guys who've done, you know, extended outings and multiple, multiple inning um, saves. I think Jorge's stuff probably plays up more than uh, um, Barlow's. But – um, so I'm not sure exactly. I, I, would, I wouldn't expect the, the moon and the stars. I think it's going to be probably minor leaguers. And if they package guys, maybe they can get somebody who's a, a high level prospect, but I, I wouldn't think that you're going to get, you know, somebody's top five or 10 prospect. And of course, Lopez went to the twins, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Back okay. in the AL central. Yep. Yep. For sure. You know, it is interesting, Lynn, that when you, when you talk about the packaging, that's the thing I've been thinking about the most, like, if you're really going to extract what you think is something that's more front burner, it seems like you're going to need to come with a couple pieces of real value. And, but it, obviously it's all about the Rubik's cube of what team has, what needs and how you, how you hit right there. But I, I, that, that's the thing I I'm wondering about whether they're looking for something that can give them a little more pop, um, more immediate pop, I guess. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things, like, you know, you hear from whether it's uh, people on social media or just fans or talk shows and whatnot um, about, like, why hadn't they traded some of these guys already? Like, you know, some people point to Witt and say, well, they could have gotten more from the past. Well, and, uh, you know, it's hard to, to, to verify, but, you know, I, I know for a fact the Royals' position on that is that they felt like what they would have gotten back in the past wouldn't have been significantly better than what they had in the minor league system at that time. So you're talking about the guys like, you know, 
um, Kyle Isbell or Khalil Lee or somebody like, like if they were going to trade with a couple years ago, it would have been for somebody better than that. And they didn't feel like they had that offer on the table. Um, I don't know if packaging that means that you will get that person that you feel like is better than what you already have. But I think that's, that's what they, you know, they're aiming for. And I think even in some of JJ's comments, he's talked about making either their major league team or their, their system better. So I think, for them, they're looking for people who are better than the prospects that they have. It's going to be, you know, somebody who's going to be in their their top group of prospects, not just some, you know, guys who are minor leaguers that are, you know, taking the shot in the dark. Makes sense. The other, the other part of this whole equation, and, and this is maybe this is Captain Obvious, but it's something that's really important to think about. Let's just say it in terms of wit. Like wit, Merrifield may hold just more value to the Royals as he is than what they can get for him. I mean, again, simplistic point, but I, 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 it, that's the thing that they have to be thinking about too. Like you're not just looking to move guys to move guys. You obviously need to open up some spots here and there too, but um, it, it, it's a little more layered than I think people want to think it is sometimes. Yeah. And they, I mean, and with guys who are, you know, again, going back to Ben Intendi, he was going to be a free agent at the end of this year. But these other guys are still in their team control for, you know, beyond this season. So it's it's not as though if you don't trade them now that you don't get anything for them. You could still trade them in the offseason. And, and people will say, well, you, you could have gotten more for, for Witt before than if you trade them now. And it's like, well, and then what's the difference between trading them now or trading them at the end of the season if you're not going to get what you, you know, potentially think you would have gotten before anyway? Um, I don't think as much as it maybe benefits you in the long run to bring up some younger guys, I don't think it makes you – better this season to take Merrifield off of this team right now. Um, of course, people say, well, we're not worried about this season. Let's just all think about the future. So um, it, it'll be interesting. Um, Michael Taylor's name is another one that I've even seen this morning. I think I saw um, one of the reports that supposedly that, for whatever it's worth, is heating up. I didn't get a quick <laughs> definition of heating up. But the, the the heating up for uh, some of the guys in the Royals, the the relievers, Barlow and Stallman and Taylor. Um, Taylor is interesting because I think I've said before, I almost looked at that Drew Waters trade as a sign that Taylor might be here for a little while because it sounded like Drew Waters, they, they pretty much came out and said he's not quite ready yet. They think he's got the potential, but they want to work with him in the minors and with their hitting development people, which means he's not a guy that can step in right now. At least that's how it sounded. Maybe they change their mind if they get the right deal. I don't know. Well, two things for sure. Um, if um, uh, if if Whit Merrifield's traded today, he will have gone out uh, on a high note, the home run that put the Royals ahead uh, for good last night, and uh, actually gave him a two nothing lead, right, and ended up winning two to one. And then um, if something does happen, it'll it'll occur while Lynn is in transit to the to the stadium. And, and the mad scramble will be on. That's just how it works in our world. Okay, hey, we're gonna uh, we're gonna watch a video. It's it's been it's been uh, two Sundays, right? It was a sun not not this past Sunday, but the previous Sunday when Buck O'Neill was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum put together a video tribute to Buck O'Neill. Uh, Bob Kendrick, of course, is a big part of this. And let's watch it. And when we come back, by hey, tell us um, how it came about, and I want to get your reaction to it as well. So this is about a four-minute clip of uh, a tribute to Buck O'Neill from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. The charm, the charisma, 
the gentle spirit. Whoever had the opportunity to meet Buck O'Neill. Good to be around you, man. Hey, you still feel good. No, I just know when to flex, so you can touch and I flex. <laughs> the lives were likely changed from a chance encounter with this great ambassador. I develop passionate love for this man. I think he's one of the most amazing human beings to ever walk the face of this earth who just happened to be a great baseball player. Buck O'Neill was a tremendous first baseman for the legendary Kansas City Monarchs. He became a great leader of men, which is why he became such a successful manager, player manager with the Monarchs. After his Monarchs playing career ended, Buck O'Neill would move into Major League Baseball as a scout. He is credited with having signed Ernie Banks to become the Cubs' first black player. He also signed Lou Brock with the Chicago Cubs. Lee Arthur Smith to his first professional contract with the Cubs. So Buck has three Hall of Famers that he signed. And while he didn't sign Hall of Famer Billy Williams, he is credited for having kept Mr. Williams in the game because Billy Williams had quit the Cubs and gone home. And who did the Cubs send to go get him? Buck O'Neill. And Mr. Williams will be the first to tell you that he owes his Hall of Fame career to one Buck O'Neill. And then Buck would then become the first African-American coach in Major League Baseball history, 1962, with the Chicago Cubs. You can feel his spirit when you come here to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. There would not be a Negro Leagues Baseball Museum if it was not for the tireless leadership of Buck O'Neill. <laughs> I affectionately call the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum the house that Buck built. Back in 2006, when we were waiting on the announcement to see if Buck was going to be one of that group of Negro League players who were being voted on who would be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. He missed by one vote. I was just devastated. Who handled it better than everyone? Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill would push aside his disappointment, go to Cooperstown, deliver this impassioned speech on behalf of 17 others who had gotten in, but all of them were dead. And who became their voice? Negro League Baseball. All you needed was a bus, yeah, and a couple of sets of uniform. You could have 20 of the best athletes that ever lived. And that's who we are representing here today. And I say that it was one of the most selfless acts in American sports history. Whoever's next to you, hold a hand. Come on, you Hall of Famers. Hold hand. All you people out there, hold hand. I want you to sing after me. The greatest thing in all of my life is loving you. A little over two months later. The greatest thing, my friend, in all of my life passed away himself. Is loving you. As he would call Cooperstown the valley, you just kind of got an idea that the valley will be lit up 
with the spirit of Buck O'Neill when he does finally receive the official induction into a place that he loved, the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And that official induction came uh, just a few days ago. Uh, so well done by the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and, and Bob Kendrick Vahe. Um, yeah, a couple of things, Blair. One is, you know, I never get tired of hearing Bob Kendrick's voice. It doesn't matter what he's talking about. And it, it just now I was thinking about the, the soundtracks of our, our life in sports. And I think anything from John Facenda to Kevin Harlan to Vin Scully to Bob Kendrick, right? I mean, it's just melodic. And uh, the, uh, the video itself, what's, what's extra interesting about that is uh, it was produced with some help from MLB.com. And it was supposed to be played during the Hall of Baseball, National Baseball Hall of Fame ceremony. And it would have given Bob a little, uh, some voice and more presence at the ceremony itself, which, as we know, was was lovely and great, and had a a, a really sweet family tribute to Buck uh, from Angela Terry, Buck's niece. But I, for those of us who followed the story of Buck and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum closely, um, I think it it was a there was a dimension missing uh, by not having the full context of his the breadth and depth of his career and, and of course the uh, punctuation marks of what the Negro leagues baseball museum has meant. So this, this would have added a nice tone and, and touch to the ceremony. It was pretty neat though, to have it unveiled in Kansas city at a, a ceremony last week to start a campaign for the thanks a million buck uh, movement, which basically uh, is trying to get a million people to give a dollar uh, to the museum and it directly towards the, uh, the, the the finalizing of the Buck O'Neill Education and Research Center. But indirectly, I think there's some hope that this becomes a catalyst for uh, the next phases of what the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum will be. And uh, as Bob Bob Kendrick likes to say, uh, he's no good at keeping a secret and he, he loves to drop <laughs> hints. And Bob, Bob has kind of made the point a few times now that the, the square footage of the museum is uh you know not what it might need to be and and i think we can expect some discussion and exploration in the months to come of of a a new a new museum itself how about that all right that is something to keep a close eye on um as the weeks unfold but uh with the, when it comes to the royals and the trade deadline that's something to keep an eye on Every minute. And Lynn Worthy will be doing that today for the Kansas City Star. So, uh, Lynn and Vahe, thanks so much, guys, for today's conversation. Big thanks to Monty Davis for putting together the show and the clips and all that he does for Sportsbeat Live. And thanks to our sponsor, the University of Kansas Health System. Thanks to our audience for, for watching and weighing in today. So we'll be back next week, 10 o'clock on Tuesday morning. Talking Royals will also be... Uh, on uh, later today, 2.30 p.m., talking Chiefs from training camp. Uh, join us for that as well. So, guys, have a great day. That'll do it for today. Thanks to Monty Davis for producing the podcast and the live show and to our Sportsbeat KC staff of Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. A tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy and to Vahe Gregorian. Thanks, Vahe. Thank you, Blair. For sharing their Royals and baseball insights. 
The best sports page in America was 30 pages full of baseball, NFL training camp, soccer, auto racing news, features, and more. It's called the Morning Sports Edition. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com for more information. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC.